Extraordinary Districts, a podcast series from the Education Trust that investigates what ordinary school districts do to get extraordinary results. Hi, my name is Karen Chenoweth from the Education Trust. We believe all students can achieve at high levels no matter what their backgrounds. So we're visiting school districts that demonstrate what's possible. This is the third and final part of our episode on Steubenville, Ohio, where elementary school students perform at the top of the nation in terms of academic achievement. In our first two parts, we heard about Steubenville residents' pride in the city's history and the thoughtful way the city's educators have successfully incorporated the Success for All program in their preschool and elementary grades. Success for All is a controversial program among educators because it's a highly prescriptive program and requires teachers to coordinate closely. Not all schools that use Success for All are successful, but educators in Steubenville credit the program with helping their third and fourth graders excel. But we also heard that after fourth grade, the achievement of Steubenville students tails off. That drop-off puzzles Stanford researcher Sean Reardon, whose analysis of districts forms the basis of this podcast. So let's see if we can understand it. To begin with, I posed the issue to Robert Slavin. He's the founder of Success for All, the program Steubenville has used so successfully in its elementary grades. Slavin isn't familiar with the specifics of Steubenville, but he responded more generally. We have this idea of inoculation, and it's been proven wrong Always. You know, the Perry Preschool being the one exception. The Perry Preschool in Ypsilanti, Michigan, was an extremely high-quality preschool program set up in the 1960s that has been found to show benefits for students even through adulthood. The Perry Preschool Project is part of why some people have great faith in the long-term effects of preschool. But pretty much every other study of preschool has shown effects petering out, usually early in elementary school. The task to get kids through, let's say, 12th grade, is to have a dynamite preschool, a dynamite kindergarten, a dynamite first grade, a dynamite second grade, a dynamite, you know, all the way up year by year without the expectation that, okay, fine, we've gotten them through fifth grade, everything is cool, or, I mean, the, the most extreme form of this, which the vast majority of America believes to this day, is that all we have to do is get them through the end of preschool in great shape, and they'll be fine forever. Essentially, Slavin is saying that students need excellent schooling every year. In Steubenville, middle school starts in fifth grade. And until recently, Steubenville's middle school Harding Middle School, was in many ways a typical middle school using regular textbooks and curricula, and it had fairly typical results, not the stellar ones of the elementary schools. I talked about Sean Reardon's analysis with a group that included elementary school principals and administrators from the middle and high school, as well as the superintendent. When I told them that Sean Reardon's analysis showed that Steubenville's results tailed off after fourth grade, they all had the same reaction. They nodded. There was no defensiveness. There was none of the excuses I've heard other places. Well, you know, the kids come in with such problems. In middle school, their hormones kick in. Nothing like that. They knew the data showed that their middle and high school results didn't match their elementary results. 
As we heard with the elementary school principal in the last part of this episode, they clearly thought the buck stopped with them. But after they all nodded, they all said something to the effect of, not for long, or we're working on it, or it's already beginning to change. In owning up to the solid but less than stellar performance of its middle and high schools, Steubenville has kept its basic approach. Look for a program with good research behind it and bring to it a culture of high expectations, expertise, and collaboration. Here's what Superintendent Young told me later. You'll hear her mention Tommy Katsanis, one of the elementary school principals, and Teddy Gorman, the high school principal. If there's an issue at the high school, that's Tommy Kasanis's problem as much as it's Teddy's problem when we're sitting here discussing it. Ultimately, it falls on to Teddy, but it's just that cooperative um, culture that we're all here for one purpose, and that's kids. So a few years ago, Steubenville brought Success for All to its middle school. It wasn't an easy transition to make. For one thing, Success for All requires that every student be taught reading for 90 minutes a day at their level. To break kids into the small groups the program mandates, every certified teacher in the building needs to teach reading. That includes librarians, everyone. And not all the teachers were happy about that. At first, I didn't necessarily enjoy teaching the reading because everyone teaches reading now. Um, and that wasn't my, uh, my favorite thing. And now actually reading is one of my favorite classes that I do teach. That's M.J. Burkett, a fifth grade teacher. He began as a math and technology teacher, but note how he describes himself now. I teach reading, math, and technology here at Harding Middle School, and I am the union president. I asked Burkett whether all the middle school teachers were on board with changing to Success for All. I'd probably say 90%. There's, there's still about 10% that are still frustrated, but they're not as as you know, strongly against as they were when it first, first came. They're coming. They're getting there. You may have noticed that he said he was union president. I'm going to come back to him later to talk about his union work. But right now, I want to share a story told to me by Harding Middle School's Dean of Students, Jennifer Agresta. She told me this story to illustrate the approach she took as a teacher. She says Steubenville teachers at the middle school take the same approach as they teach. We were talking in a busy school office, so sorry in advance for all the background noise. Um, I was teaching, one of my first years teaching, I had taught an entire science chapter, thought I had done a fabulous job, gave the test, 80% of my students failed the test, so I came in the next day, told them that they had, I had the test graded, and that they, most of them had not done well and had failed, and I threw them all in the garbage can and said, that's my fault because I did not, I must not have presented the material the correct way for you to understand it. So I'm going to reteach it a different way and re-give the test. And I did that, and they all did much better on the test. Um, so I took ownership for not doing my part. It was unintentional, I explained that, but it still happens. So you have to take ownership for your actions, correct anything that needed corrected, and that's what we did. That was 24 years ago. But this is the spirit that Agresta says Steubenville teachers and administrators bring to their work. And that's what I wanted to model for the students because that's what we should want our youth to do. They're not going to be perfect. They're children. They're going to make mistakes. Accept them for the mistakes. It doesn't define who they are. They should learn from that. And us as educators, that's our job 
is to be mentors to them and help them learn from their mistakes so that they can continue to grow and be better members of the society. That's ultimately what we should want as educators. I said before that it seemed to me that Steubenville relied on programs plus culture to excel. We'll see in the next couple of years if Success for All is able to help the middle school excel. But Success for All only goes through the middle grades. It doesn't go through high school. So what is Steubenville doing to help the high school excel? The first thing to say is that if you go by graduation rates, Steubenville High School is doing pretty well. More than 93% of students graduate. In Ohio, on average, 83% of students graduate, and in schools where most of the students come from low-income homes, as in Steubenville, graduation rates tend to be much lower. Another thing to say is that Ohio has changed its assessment and measurement systems often enough and recently enough that it's actually kind of hard to know where academic achievement is anywhere in Ohio. But if you look at the data that's available, Steubenville's academic achievement is lower than in wealthy white schools. And Steubenville takes that seriously. The educators there want their students to have the same opportunities that are available to any other high school student in the state and country. So they've taken a page from their elementary school playbook and have put in place two programs, both of which are supported by the state of Ohio. The first program is College Credit Plus. The idea is that students in the program will take enough college credits to earn an associate's degree by the time they graduate from high school. Here's Teddy Gorman, the principal of Steubenville High School, talking about it as we stood in the school's library. I think we probably have, I think, 250 kids that are taking College Credit Plus. Almost half of our, half of our student body is taking College Credit Plus. The class of 2019 is on track to have most students get 60 hours of college credit by graduation. Some classes are taught by high school teachers who have taken extra classes in their field. Some are taught by college professors who come to the school. We have six to eight professors come in a day. This comes with a price tag of a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. In the first part of this episode, I mentioned that about one-third of the approximately 2,200 students in Steubenville come from outside the district, and they bring with them state dollars. One of the things those state dollars pays for is college professors. Steubenville has long had some students taking college classes, but in the past, only those students who were identified as gifted and talented or were in honors classes were eligible. Principal Gorman has thrown the college classes open to any student who can pass the college placement test. So we see kids all the time that, that, that go on to college that weren't in the scholars, that weren't in that honors program. And, you know, why can't, why can't they go? You know, why, why am I, I'm not here to hold them back. So that's one program the high school has put in place to improve the academic achievement of its students, and it has involved a great deal of coordination. For example, it wasn't always clear that college credits earned at the high school would actually be counted when students later enrolled in college. Most of those kinks have been worked out. The second program Steubenville put in place was partly in reaction to a crisis that the town faced. You may have heard of it. Back in 2012, two Steubenville high school students, football players, were accused of sexually assaulting a young woman from a nearby town. The incident came to light through tweets and Facebook posts. National publicity essentially put the city on trial with accusations that the high school and the school system were harboring a rape culture. The two young men were convicted in a televised trial 
and they served time in a juvenile facility. The superintendent at the time resigned, and Richard Ranallo came out of retirement to return as superintendent and provide some stability in a difficult time. The Steubenville had this cloud over it. We had to keep focusing on what our purpose was. First, Ranallo said, We had to try to take time to educate our kids so that that would never happen again. Or we would try to make them to make better decisions. Ranallo brought in community agencies and state programs to help students think through what had happened, how they made decisions, and how they used social media. But Ranallo had another concern, and that was to help students realize their own value. There's a lot of things that when you have a cloud over you and somebody does something, then you start to internalize, well, maybe I'm not doing something right. Ranallo said the school board helped keep him focused during that turbulent time. The board said, let's keep our focus on education and keep moving forward. And let's keep, let's keep working on programs that are good for kids. Just as he had looked all those years before for something that would help at the elementary school level, he and others in the district now looked for something that would help at the high school level. Programs that were innovative, that were going to try to get our staff and our students moving ahead. They settled on a program called High Schools That Work. To explain the program, I went to the source. Gene Bottoms, Senior Vice President, Southern Regional Education Board. The Southern Regional Education Board was begun after World War II by Southern governors and legislators who recognized that the schools of the South would never create the economic vitality they wanted to see in their states. As part of that work, Gene Bottoms began High Schools That Work in 1987. It grew kind of out of the nation at risk, which basically said we ought to eliminate all career and technical studies. A nation at risk, you may recall, was the 1983 report which said that America's schools were not preparing students well. When career and technical programs were eliminated, partly as a response to that report, many students were excluded from any kind of rigorous program that would prepare them for life after high school. They were not in college preparatory classes, and they were not in career and technical classes. They were in what many places called the general track, which had few standards for graduation. Well, we started on the one state required Alzheimer one for high school graduation in the South for everybody. To address that problem, Bottoms and the Southern Regional Education Board formed a consortium focused on preparing students for high demand fields. And we identified the objectives, how we prepare our kids both for college and work, develop a set of 10 guiding principles and uh, launched with 28 original sites in the fall of 1987. And over the 30 years since, we have worked with more than 4,000 high schools across this region and in over 30 states across the nation. But the effort was to link a college-ready core to quality career and technical studies. And uh, as a consequence of that effort, most states ended the general track. Many states have policies to encourage a blending of the uh, college preparatory and the career studies together. Some do a better job than others in that regard. High Schools That Work works throughout the school to keep students engaged and interested in school and academics. We're very big that every student ought to have a focus in school. That's something that in depth. Some kids will have a fine arts focus. Band, choir, music will be a focus for them. But if you get everybody with a focus, 
they begin to see connections between the academics and his applications. They see a, they have a goal in mind. They know where they're going. They have an adult mentor all the way through high school that stays with them, kind of a teacher advisement system we put into place. You will greatly increase the percent of kids going on for further study. You'll reduce your discipline problem dramatically. Purpose, kids have a purpose. You'll change the nature of teaching and learning from set and get to much more engagement. Uh, young ladies need this, but males need at least a period of day where they can go and use their hands and heads to do things, but they have to use the academics to do it. And we literally wiped much of that out of the high schools for a lot of kids. High Schools That Work also offers a few highly specific curricula that schools can choose from, depending on the expertise they can draw on from within the school and the community. These curricula include clean energy, health informatics, and so forth. We provide links on our website, www.edtrust.org slash Extraordinary Districts. Steubenville High School decided to go with aviation and aerospace engineering and began with one class worth of freshmen in the 2016-17 year with hopes of growing the program every year. We heard from Natalie Campana earlier in this episode talking about her great-grandfather coming to Steubenville. She's a certified pilot, and she heads up the aviation and aerospace engineering program. In Ohio, we, we don't... We follow a system where you start from the beginning and then you get to the finale. And that finale will um, build a bridge for you to go onward to a four-year school, a technical school, or if the job market uh, allows it, you can go and work in the career field. That's what our goal is. We have it structured where you start from step one to step four. I asked her to describe those steps. Year one, we have aviation. Year two, aviation airport management. Year three, meteorology. And year four, aviation pilot training. And then we have the aerospace engineering also combined in that. It's giving students an opportunity, a taste of multiple different careers, and then they can uh, gain a skill set using their academics, blending it with aviation and aerospace engineering. She obtained a grant and arranged for Steubenville High School to get a flight simulator. That, in turn, attracted the attention of a major airline, which is looking to form a partnership with the high school. We have Pure Aviation at Jefferson County Airport. They're all involved to making this possible in our community. Pittsburgh uh, International Airport, Wheeling Airport. It, it takes a, a city to raise a child, and we believe that here. So right there, I think you could hear how educators in Steubenville City Schools blend their commitment to programs with a larger culture that believes in creating opportunities for students. I want to go back for just a moment to M.J. Burkett. He's the head of the Steubenville Teachers Union, and he gives another example of that culture. Most of us are pretty much team players, so we know if it's going to benefit the students, then we're willing to go out of our way a little bit, you know, maybe give up a plan period, volunteer to stay after school to help with events and sporting, sporting functions. Hear how he talks about his role as a union president. I'm the representative for our 150 plus teachers uh, to be their voice uh, collectively, to speak to the administration on their behalf, on their concerns, but not just the teachers, but for to looking at for the interests of the students, um, to be an advocate for our public education, and for the students that we teach. 
I think it's easy, an easy correlation is to state that our working conditions are students' learning conditions. So when we are negotiating or bargaining for better working conditions, it's only going to improve the learning conditions of our students. The idea that teachers and staff have the well-being of students as their first concern was reflected by this Steubenville High School student. Anybody in this school, anybody, any teacher, any faculty or staff, they do anything to help the student and anything to better the community. And that's what Superintendent Young says drives every decision. Do we always make the best decisions? No. But I believe our decisions are always based on what, at that time, we think is best for kids. I don't have a band program because I just think it's nice to hear a band at a football program. I mean, we have band because it's good for kids. It's good for kids to be part of a team. It's good for kids to learn a musical instrument um, that helps them, you know, with brain, you know, with their reasoning. And um, it just, everything we do, we do because we believe it has some kind of effect and helps keep kids in school, keeps kids engaged, like the football team. We don't do football just to do football. We do that because we think you're making a face. She's laughing because when she said Steubenville doesn't have football just to have football, I must have looked pretty surprised. One of the things I haven't mentioned is that Steubenville football is woven into the city. Big Red, the school's team, has produced quite a few accomplished college and professional players. Most of the teachers dress in the school colors, and many of them will say things like, I bleed red and black. And I know when you made the face about football, but it really is the truth. We do it because it's good for us. It's good for Steubenville City Schools. It builds that pride. It builds the culture. But really, when the kids come back, or they're not kids, usually adults, they'll talk about how that was their first time in their life that they understood when, how people depend on you and how you have to pull through because you are part of that team. Earlier in this three-part episode, we heard Superintendent Young say that what she wanted to do was change the path of poverty. And we have heard how the school system she leads is trying to do that through a careful use of well-researched programs embedded in the strong belief in the capacity of children, or as she says. And always having that um, belief that we can um, move those students and all students can learn. I also said early on that as seen by an outsider, Steubenville seems like a sad place. I said that to teacher Natalie Campana. I want you to hear her answer. Yes, it is, but it doesn't have to be. We're yes. very proud of our home, our culture, our school, and yes, we might be in the rust bucket, but don't judge us for that because we're still educating and inspiring and motivating our students for a better future. I'm letting Campana have the last word as we finish our discussion of Steubenville, whose elementary school students lead the nation in academic achievement and whose secondary schools are hoping to replicate that success in the near future. So far in this podcast, we've gone to two relatively small districts, Steubenville, Ohio, and Lexington, Massachusetts. In our next episode, we're going to go to one of the country's largest urban districts, a district that is mostly known for dysfunction, but which in fact has been improving for the last generation. On average, kids in this district grow more than a grade level every year from third to eighth grade. I'm going to guess that the relative success of this district will come as a surprise to many of you. 
So be sure to join us to learn not only which district I'm talking about, but how it's achieved its growth. I'm Karen Chenoweth from the Education Trust, and this is our podcast series, Extraordinary Districts. See you next time.